45 and 46 today. And I have a question to start off. And the question is this. Is your faith a burden or is it a blessing? In other words, do your beliefs weigh you down or do they lift you up? I'd like us to read from Isaiah chapter 45. We're going to be starting with verse 20. And um, he's talking here about the gods of Babylon, but that's where we live. We live in Babylon in these days. So assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Sometimes uh, people find themselves doing that in their desperation and in their um, unawareness of who God is. They find themselves praying to a God who can't save. So God gives a challenge. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. He's trying to get us the point across, isn't he? We today forget that, don't we? We forget that there is only one God. And he gives us a gracious invitation, turn to me and be saved. He's asking us, he's inviting us to come and prove who he is. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me... Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. That's where Paul gets it from Philippians chapter 2. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And so God is issuing this challenge. And he's telling us that all of those who are angry and who are rebellious against God, one day they will come and they will bow at his feet. And he gives us the opportunity to do that willingly and freely and enter into the blessings of his presence. Now he continues in chapter 46, Bell bows down and Nebo stoops. And um, these are two of the great gods of the Babylonians. Bel was the national god. He's also called Marduk. And he's the head of the uh, Babylonian pantheon. He's a sun god. And Nebo is the Babylonian god of wisdom and literature, education. And so these are the national gods. And at this particular time, Babylon was one of the most powerful nations in the entire world. And their gods, God says, bows down and stoop. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. 
These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. Poor animals, these things are heavy. And they get tired because they're having to hold up the God. Because he can't walk by himself. They stoop, they bound down together, they cannot save the burden. But themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Very different from the gods of Babylon. Uh, these are the false gods that people pray to that cannot save. Now, we don't necessarily have gods of wood and stone and metal, although we do have some of those. But um, we serve other gods, and they call, we call them by nice names. They call their gods by nice names, too. We call them gods of wealth, gods of power, Gods of beauty, we idolize these things. Gods of wisdom, gods of pleasure, God of health, the God of comfort, we like these guys. God of security, the God of possessions, the God of youth. Have you understood how we idolize youth and health and beauty? Um, these were things that the ancients at least had enough wisdom to know were fleeting and passing. Uh, they idolized and lifted up wisdom and old age because these are people who know what's going on. Hopefully. The gods of status, gods of technology, gods of entertainment, gods of leisure, and gods of time. And so a lot of these things... We gear around the God of time. And the fact of the matter is, we all have a limited amount. I guess that's why it becomes so valuable. And none of us knows uh, at what time it is in our particular life. Now, God does. He knows. Um, sometimes if we knew what was coming, we would try to prepare for it. But the fact of the matter is, we should be preparing for it, and then it doesn't matter when that time comes. We'll be prepared. We'll be ready. And so sometimes we look at our, uh, at our relationship to God in a pagan way in the sense that we, like the pagans of old, we feel like our faith is a burden to us. It's something heavy, something required, something that we have to do, something that's required of us and commanded so we've got to buckle under and, and get it done. And we become tired and weary and we think, God, just leave me alone for a while, you know. Um, that's the wrong understanding of God. And it's the wrong understanding of what it means to walk with God. It's not us who carry Him. It's He who carries us. And sometimes we get it backwards. Earlier in the book of Isaiah here, in chapter 43, verse 22, God says, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. So they were tired 
of the commandments of God. They didn't want to hear them anymore. Um, they were struggling. And they were, they were just tired of God. Didn't want to hear the different things that people said they had to do. In the book of Malachi, the last thing that God wrote, He says, O oh, my people, God does, O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. That's a pretty good question. And so people in Isaiah's day are saying, oh, I'm so tired of trying to do what God wants me to do. And God is saying, hey, how have I worried you? How have I put that on you? That's not something that I put on you. That's something you picked up on yourself. They had the same problem in, in Jesus' day, except they knew <laughs> what was going on. Jesus condemned the, the holy people, the righteous people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the ones who knew the Scripture best. He condemned them for laying heavy burdens on the backs of men and not lifting one finger to help them. What they did was they so burdened people with all their interpretations and their rules and regulations about do this, don't do that. You have to do this and you can't do that. You have to be this and you can't be that. You have to eat this and you can't eat that. Uh, you can sing this song but not that one. You can wear these clothes but not those over there. And on and on and on. And if anybody didn't meet their list, they were met with condemnation and guilt and judgment. And they were told constantly, you are a sinner. You can't do that and, and walk with God. You are a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it. Partly because you can never do good enough to please me. You can never be as righteous as I am because I'm keeping all these rules. And Jesus said, what's that all about? Jesus said, I've come to give you the commands of God. And the commands of God lead to eternal life. That's what God does. And so God is saying this to, through Isaiah here. He says, listen to me. I'm the one who's born you from before your birth. From the womb, I'm the one who picked you up and down to your old age and gray hairs, I'm still the one who's carrying you. It's not up to us to carry God. He doesn't need our help. But we need His. And so He's come to set us free. Talking about all the rules and regulations, Paul talks about it in the book of Colossians. He's writing to the church. And he's writing about people who are trying to come and lay these heavy guilt trips on everybody. And this is what he has to say in chapter 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. Did you ever notice that? All of our rules and regulations have to do with stuff that doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's important to us because these are our rules and regulations, but all that stuff isn't going to last. It all passes away. And Paul is saying that. We're majoring on minor issues. 
These are according to human precepts and teachings. These don't come from God. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. So we build ourselves up as holy people and we can say, everybody, look at me, I'm doing this and I'm not doing that and, you know, what a good person I am. It's a self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And those who have all the rules and stuff, don't look in the heart. Don't look in the heart. The pride, the arrogance, uh, the condemnation and the judgment, uh, the building up of self and my kingdom and judging everybody else according to my standards. That's a self-made religion that Paul talks about. And these things wear us down and we pray in that sense to a God that can do us no good. So God says, I'm the one who carries you. I'm the one who picked you up. As a matter of fact, um, we've got it backwards. Uh, People came to Jeremiah and they talked about the burden of the Lord. And we sometimes use that language even today, don't we? Um, It's the kind of language that uh, you say, what's the burden of the Lord? The Lord has laid this upon me to pray about something or to do a certain task or deed. And um, in Jeremiah's day, they were calling about uh, the oracle of God. That's the, the spoken word of God that he was giving to and through the prophets. And they called it the burden of the Lord. And so uh, in Hebrew, the word for burden and the word for oracle is the exact same word. And so they're looking at it as a, a burden and God is looking at it as a life-giving word. It's a different way of looking at it. And so they're coming to Jeremiah and says, what is the burden of the Lord? And God speaks through Jeremiah and he says, you're the burden. You are the burden. Because every man's own word becomes his word for living his life. Don't talk about the oracle of God. You're the burden with your sin. And you come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? But then we go and live like we want. Do what we want. And so it means absolutely nothing. So our own word becomes our oracle from God because we're serving the God of self. And so God talks about... uh, Frequently in the scripture through um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Hosea, Amos, Micah talks about God being burdened with our worship that is insincere and meaningless. That's nothing more than words. Uh, It's what we do on Sunday or when we go into church or Bible study or something. But how we live our life is an entirely different deal. And so then our life becomes burdensome and we cry out to God for that. And God says, you're carrying stuff uh, I never intended for you to carry. Lay it down. Who's asked you to do that? So as we read through the scripture, Jesus says, every command of God leads to eternal life. It's life-giving and life-producing. If it's not producing life, then it's not from God. So God continues there. Uh, you know, Jesus talked about it, and, and um, he said, Come to me, all you who labor 
and are heavy laden. Whether it's the guilt of our sin or whether it's the burdens that we think we need to do to, to please God, uh, whatever it is, they're burdened and heavy laden. The cares of this life, because life is hard. And God is offering us the freedom to live it fully the way he created us to live. These things we put upon ourselves, we cling to things in the past, we cling to people in the past, and we cling to these things and it affects how we live and how we look at ourselves today. And so we're either uh, burdened with the guilt of the past or in fear for the things of the future and we miss life today, which is the only time that we have to live, is the present, right? Right? Can't live in the past. Future, we have no guarantee of. The only time that you can live is right now. <laughs> Sorry. So why spend time and energy, emotional energy, uh, spiritual energy, physical energy, being weighed bound down by burdens other people place upon us? You don't have to pick them up if you don't want to. If we're burdened and overworked, it's because we've chosen it. We've picked that up. Because we think that our job cannot be done unless I do it. And nobody can do it as good as me. And if I wasn't there, it wouldn't get done. You know, that's all delusion. It's all delusion. It was going on before you came. It'll go on after you're gone. And you can be there to help and to do the best you know how to do to be there while you are. But it all doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't. And if we think it does, it's because we've we've picked that up for our own self-worth and self-importance. They need me there, and so I'm important. I have value because they need me there. But what if they don't need you there? What does that mean? I'm nothing? And so this is why a lot of people, they they spend their whole life um, convincing themselves that they're spending the extra hours and, and um, neglecting their wife and family or husband and family or whatever and because we're, you know, I'm working hard to give them all of these things and all of this stuff and it, it, we, we've got to do it. Um, but we don't. We make the priorities. We pick up what we want to pick up and we put it down when we're ready to put it down. Um, so... God is saying, I'm the one who's carrying you. Uh, I'm not laying these things on you. These are things that you've picked up on your own or allowed other people to place upon you. And so Jesus becomes our burden bearer. He invites us to come. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you've got to lay the burden down so that you can receive the rest. Isaiah put it this way, surely, surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We can let them to go. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he lifts up those transgressions. He takes away those sins. He releases us from the guilt and the shame and the fear and the regrets of the past. And God is the God of the past as well as the God of the future. And he is the God of the present. And so if there are things in our past that we regret that we cannot undo, God is able to take care of those things. And we need to put them in his hands and leave them there because it becomes a heavy burden. Beat ourselves up over things that we cannot change. Doesn't excuse them, doesn't mean that they're right or doesn't matter. It just means we cannot change them. So let them go into the hands of the one who can change them. And so that's what he's offering to us. In verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And he's the one who offers us to come and seek. Chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price, because it's free, because Jesus paid the price, and he's carrying us. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? These are good questions God asks. Um, Are we praying to gods who cannot save? And do we have the wrong understanding of the God that we serve? Back in chapter 46, he talks about the the idols, and he says they have to make their own gods, and then they fall down and worship them. They lift it up on their shoulders, and they carry it to its place, and it stands there. It can't move. If you cry to it, it doesn't answer or save you from trouble. And so he challenges God's people, that's us. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, he says it again, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. And he says, I've spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. And so God challenges us. Is our faith a burden Or it is a blessing? Does it weigh us down? Or does it build us up? This is why Jesus came. 
and why he died on the cross to remind us that he is God and there is no other. And he's the only one who can carry us and can meet us at our point of need and set us free. And the good news is that this God that we serve is a God of grace and a God of mercy. So as we come to uh, communion this morning, uh, just something to remind ourselves. Uh, it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that he's dealt with our sins. It's through this that he bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. It's through this that he takes upon himself all the things that weigh us down and burden us and hinder us in our, in our ability to walk freely with him. And he offers to us his joy and his peace. Now one of the things that uh, I want to remind us of is that there is a difference between a monument and a footprint. This comes from uh, William Faulkner. And uh, what he says is um, a monument only says at least I got this far. Now some of us look at communion uh, our relationship with God that way. This is a monument. At least I've gotten this far, you know, and the Lord's going to help me. But that's not the end. That's the beginning, isn't it? A footprint, on the other hand, says, this is where I stood just before I moved on. Jesus intends for the cross to be the footprint, not a monument. It's a footprint saying, I've brought you here so that you can get on with your life. And this year, one of the things we're going to be focusing on is our growth and maturity in our Christian walk. Um, because many of us have had a stunted growth. Uh, and so we need to address those things as Christians. And many times the reason that we feel burdened is because there's no... Um, serendipity things that give us life and joy and peace, but they're all around us. They are all around us. And he invites us to, to live that way. So, uh, the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I looked forward with joy and anticipation to go, to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, how'd you feel this morning? Time to go to church. <laughs> and it's the joy of the Lord, man. Uh, he's not laying these things on us as a burden. It's an invitation to come and receive what we need and what we long for in our hearts. It's nothing sad or heavy or burdensome. He's picked that up and he says, come walk with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is right, is light. And when you walk with me, you will find rest for your soul and it will build you up and not weigh you down and so that's because he bore all that for us and so Jesus on the night that he was betrayed because we're all still going our own way he gave thanks to the father and he took the bread and he broke it and he looked on these men that were going to fail and deny and he loved them with an unconditional love that was greater than their sin. 
greater than their faithlessness. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. A new relationship with God so that regardless of how we've looked at him in the past, through the blood of Christ, Paul tells us we have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, then we can find peace within ourselves, And only then can we be at peace with anybody else. And so it begins here. And so Jesus gives the invitation to come, receive from him, not as a monument, but as a footprint, as a way forward, walking with him in the new covenant and newness of life and the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Will those serving communion please come forward?